0: So, Bob, we just recorded a whole episode in which I was meaning to have for everyone. But All then right. we got in some personal issues. Yeah. And I asked you to criticize me. Yeah. Which I thought would be an easier thing, but it actually was very challenging mm. for you to criticize me. Very. We finally got to something. We got to some pretty personal issues for our relationship and also my personality. And as usual, at, at, after we record, I'm like, I don't want this going out to 8 billion people. Mm, yeah. So this episode is just for patrons of the podcast. If you want to hear this full episode, you have to become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. When you become a patron, you get access to this episode and hundreds of episodes, other episodes that are our best episodes, arguably. So go to patreon.com, become a patron. Do it today. Right, Bob? Right on. So, Bob, I have a bunch of emails from the listeners. Let's read them. What do you say?
1: I say let's... Oh, somebody was... Wasn't at the window.
0: Yeah, like a bird,
1: like a hummingbird, maybe.
0: Yeah, it distracted us. Oh. Um, Upper tier patron from Ontario says, "One day, I told my therapist that I felt like we weren't moving forward. Hmm. This prompted her to refer me to another therapist. Oh. This has left me wondering how we became so disconnected in the first place. Hmm. I think it's because she started talking about a book she was writing too often in our sessions." Hmm. I would tell her things about my life, and she would say, oh, I'm going to be talking about that in my book. I found it a bit off and off-putting, and odd and off-putting. One session, she, she didn't have my file, and said, and she said she must have left it in her other office. I've never been to her other office, and I know she's mentioned writing her book in that other office. Mm. It instantly felt like she was using my file for notes for her book. I understand this may just be my anxiety, but this situation seems odd. Is it unethical? Bob, what do you think?
1: It's not unethical for her to have your file in her other office. Um, What strikes me here is the um, frustration that you have. It's really hard to talk to therapists about therapy. I think we get really self-conscious about it. We're afraid that they're going to be upset with us, that um, they'll reject us. And... The thing I think I say on this podcast more than anything else is talk to your therapist about it. So perhaps the opportunity is lost, and at this point, maybe it doesn't make sense to go back. Um, though that, That's something a person could do if they wanted to, um, to talk about what the rift was. And even if you don't go back, though, it might be useful to um, think about, well, what happened then? And how did I find myself... Um, Um, participating in the drift and how do I know I'm not, that couldn't happen again. And what do I want to do? Like, what if I start drifting with the new therapist? Yeah. Um, So, so being, it's scary. I think, I think it's scary, Um, but it is completely useful to talk about. In fact, some would argue that it is indeed one of the main functions or, or the main function of therapy is to pay attention to and focus on what is the experience of the relationship it sounds to me like what happened for you guys is you um, didn't have that. Um, you didn't get a chance to do that kind of reflective learning, uh, reflective discuss talking about the relationship that you were in and your dissatisfaction with it. Right. So I'd love that you brought it up. I yeah, mean, you did. You brought it up.
0: Yeah, you're you're saying that you uh, were, you know, you felt disconnected. Yeah. It sounds like you agreed between therapist and client that you were stagnating and your therapist either referred you or floated the idea of changing to another therapist and you agreed and that happens sometimes yeah. nothing wrong with that but you felt like maybe something went wrong there or there's some mm-hmm. loss there or some mm-hmm. some information that you're trying to learn mm-hmm. and you want to talk about it some more it's possible that you're never going to be able to talk to that past therapist because it's it's a little uh, it can it can be sometimes unethical for therapists to even answer your calls mm-hmm. regarding those kinds of things. You're in, th- you're with another therapist mm-hmm. now and you can talk with that person. Yeah. And uh, it, now the other question is the, so the other thing is, you know, to reflect what Bob was saying is it sounds like maybe this is touching on some of your own issues mm-hmm. around abandonment or distrust in other people or feeling disconnection or abandoned or betrayed or um, I don't know, with, you know feeling as though people are withdrawing from you or withholding from you we a lot of us have traumas about people withholding things from us emotional attunement from us, and so there's that did did something unethical happen? No, as Bob was saying, there's nothing unethical about having your client file in another office. There's also nothing inherently wrong with her writing a book based on her files as long as she follows the principles of masking the client's identity, uh, asking for permission or changing details so that no one knows what they're talking about, then no one knows who they're talking about, then um, generally speaking, depending on the situation, it, it's it's ethical. So uh, she if she's writing a clinical book, then yeah, it's possible that she was using your, your file. Now, if you feel violated by that, you can certainly say, I feel violated and I don't want you to use my file, then, Therapists and an author would agree to that for sure. Uh, but you know she's writing a book, and you know that she had her file, your file, in another office. You know nothing more beyond yeah. that. An um, anonymous patron says, "Why do couples therapists often have no availability?" Hmm. my spouse and I are currently making the decision to separate. Hmm. I care about him deeply, but no longer see a future together. And I'm optimistic that I am optimistic about. Hmm. We have many issues in our relationship that have arisen over time and realistically should have been dealt with in couples therapy long ago. We also have problems individually that we need to work through. I, for example, have OCD and perhaps some narcissistic or borderline tendencies. Hmm. I'm not sure. I have contacted some practices that I have heard positive things about. Hmm. Do you know why it is so difficult to find a high-quality couples therapist with availability? I thought that the nature of couples therapy would mean that clients would come and go and create more availability. Bob, what do you think?
1: That has not been my experience, and I do—95% of what I do nowadays is couple therapy. Yeah. I'm almost-
0: 95% of your clients are couples? Yes. Really? I did not know that. Oh, I mean, yeah. I knew a substantial portion, but yeah. 95%. Yeah. And that lends itself to the fact that couples clients don't leave.
1: They don't, yeah, necessarily. And I'm not in any rush to get anybody out the door. I'm interested in, in um, you know, however long it takes. <laughs> right.
0: And couples therapy never ends, in my experience. It's it's pretty rare. I mean, certainly there have been clients that have terminated with me, sure. obviously, and said we're done yeah. or we we want to take a break yeah. or whatever. And there have been other times when I've had clients that where we've agreed that, you know, they probably reached a good point. But there's never a point with a client, really any client, given our style of therapy, where either one of us have thought, yep, you are completely done. All of your psychological problems and relationship problems and schema problems and relational traumas, they're all done. Mm -hmm. You do not need an ounce of therapy anymore. You and I would never think that. And for couples, <laughs> that's a ridiculous notion. You know, uh, we're never going to fight again. We're never going to be upset with each other again. No, we we're never going to have a sexual problem. We're, yeah. we're, our our lives, our relationship is perfecto. Yeah, uh, is a and and by extension, we'll never need you or benefit. Is probably a better right. way from talking with you at least once a month. Yeah. You know, because that's for me, couples will transition eventually to once to, a month. To once of a monthish ish or something. Yeah. And find tremendous value in that. Yeah. So that's one reason why yeah. it's hard to find a,
1: a good couple's but why else do you think it's hard? Um I think the pandemic has made everybody busy. Um so uh those those reasons. I also think that our industry
0: Is one of the dumbest industries when it comes to the internet and to technology. Because, (laughs) and I think medicine in general, but particularly therapists, it would be so easy for every licensed clinician to be in one government database or just one database and for that to be easily searchable. Oh, yeah. And so that you can get connected with the right therapist for you in right. your area that charges what you you know that has availability you we are in we're living in the fifties you essentially have to look in the yellow pages, which is psychology today, and not every mm-hmm. therapist is on psychology i 'm mm-hmm. not on psychology today mm-hmm. and you have to so you have to look in the yellow pages and then you have to read their page, which is completely incomprehensible to and and many therapists don't describe themselves very specifically you yeah. know they're very general kinds of statements right are you struggling with you know emotional and relationship problems Will I talk with you about so you can gain your own empowerment? You know, just this kind of phrasing. It just means nothing. It doesn't mean anything. And so, and, you know, people will claim that they specialize in trauma and and depression. And and I know for a fact that many of those people do not specialize in those things. They think they do, but they don't. And you as a patient are just cold calling these randos. And then... The therapists almost never call back, which is another problem that you and I talk about.
1: I know. I hate that.
0: Yeah. So there could be available therapists that just literally aren't calling you back because Mm. they're so disorganized and unprofessional that Mm. they don't know how to call people back. And so that's the 50s. That's what it was like when our grandparents called a dentist was (laughs) they looked them up in a database or they looked them up in the the yellow pages of which not every dentist was in the yellow pages. And you just had to call in. Hope that this person is right for you. Yeah. And then you had to go and try them out. This is a we're, this is 2021. Yeah, We have the, the ability to have a database where every single thing... I mean, how nice would it be if every single licensed person had to be in this database and there would be a little toggle that said, are you available? Do you have spots open? Because I still get calls and... I have to tell them that I don't have any, I haven't had any availability for years. And so how easy would it have been if there was just a database? Cause there's nowhere I can put that. I can't put that anywhere. There's no place for me to tell the world. I don't have any availability. How nice would it be if you just went, okay, show me every therapist who actually has availability today or this week or this month, um, you know, a psychiatrist same problem. People have to mm-hmm. wait on waiting list for like six months to yeah. see a psychiatrist. They're in a crisis now. Yeah, they're suicidal now. Right. They're having panic attacks now. And so, yeah, it's we just we're so. In fact, I can, cons- among other things, I consider this to be unethical on our part that we do not care. Or, I mean, every therapist understands this problem to some extent, but we don't care enough as therapist or as a collective oh, yeah. to do anything about it. And to me, that is, that's unethical by neglect, you know, by omission. That is harming. People, we all understand people are being harmed by that. We we understand that there are clients out there who can't find the right therapist, who can't find a therapist, yeah. who can't find the right therapist. We all understand. I don't, I don't know any therapist that's like, no, no, the system works perfectly. I don't yeah. know anyone that thinks that. And yet we're doing nothing to solve the problem. Because therapists typically, you know, like you and I, our practice is full. And so what's it to us? Because, you know, it doesn't directly impact us. It doesn't doesn't negatively impact us. Mm. It negatively impacts some faceless public that we never interact with. Yep, that's true. And we kind of benefit from it on some level because by the time they find us, they're so happy to have found us Ah. that they they worship us like, Oh my God, I finally found you. And so in some ways we're incentivized to do nothing about it. Cause by the time they find us, then they will be, it's like, you know, it's like those restaurants where the food takes a long time to arrive. Uh, like when I, I was a Godfather's pizza delivery driver and, uh, and when I was 23 uh, ish and one of the, Problems was, you so you pull into, this is before computers and all this kind of stuff, so I'd pull into Godfather's Pizza, and I'd walk into the kitchen, and there'd be all these pizzas stacked on top of the oven, ready to go delivered, and they'd have the address listed on it, and so I would look through all the addresses, and it was incentivized to me to grab as many pizzas as possible, because then I got all the tips, and also it meant I didn't have to come back to the, the restaurant, so I would I would grab 5 pizzas. And what that means is the 5th pizza I deliver is going to be like an hour and a half from the time they ordered it. Cuz you know, of course, by the time it's on top of the oven, it's already been 20 minutes by the time it was, you know. And so I win because I get the tip, but the customer loses because my incentives do not do not help the customer. Right. And it's same with this is it. We are individually incentivized to do nothing about this problem in society. And, you know, with our centralized database that uh, of course, nothing ever changes and the, and, and the public doesn't notice anything because they're just like, because they're not us. They don't understand how the system works and, and, and they'll blame themselves. I must be doing something wrong or whatever, you know? And uh, yeah. So that's another reason why, it's hard to find a couple therapist because it's not like couples therapists aren't out there with open spots. There are, there are therapists out there with open spots for sure. I mean, depending on where you're living, but um, there are now they might not be that great.
1: <laughs> My availability shifts um, unpredictably and can shift rather wildly, even over the span of a couple of weeks, like mm-hmm. somebody's dropping out, somebody I have space for a new person to join. Right. So
0: imagine if there's a little
1: box that you just checked You know, every week. I wouldn't like to do that because it'd be so variable. Um, But what I want to say is if you're a therapist, please return phone calls to prospective clients. And I always say to people, look, therapist schedules shift. Like I presume they're like mine. They can shift unpredictably. And so I always say, if you think they're good and you're still looking in two weeks, call them again. And um, if you didn't get a call back, call them again. It can't help but sting when you know, you're in need and the other person doesn't even have the courtesy to you know, say, sorry, I'm busy. Yeah. But um, we've, we've had that. When we were looking for a couple therapy, um, I called several of the people in town here that I believed would be good. And I'd say most of them did not even return the phone call saying they were full. So I, you know, I, I would suspect
0: half of them weren't, weren't full, uh, and they're just so disorganized that they just,
1: yeah, didn't call you back. Yeah, yeah. So, so for folks who are, though if they're looking for EFT, there is a there is a database. Um, if you go to ICEEFT com, that's the International Center for Excellence in Emotionally Focused Therapy for Couples, iceeft.com. com. They do have a database, um, and you can find out who who's in your area um, and what. To some degree, what their training and experience is. And Gottman, I'm sure, has a database. Yeah, I think Gottman does too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, All right. Patron Liana from Vegas says, is this professional behavior from a therapist? I always love these kind of emails. Oh, wow. I am diagnosed with borderline and my ex has severe anxiety and depression. We are in constant contact and amicably separated. Yeah. But my therapist constantly tells me he's using that, my uh, ex is using that as an excuse to have sex with others and preaches women empowerment. I mean, I'm not say, sure I I, yeah, I, I'm quite following that. Yeah, I'm diagnosed with the borderline, and my yeah. ex has severe anxiety and depression. Okay. We are in constant contact and amicably okay. separated. Okay. But my therapist constantly tells me that he's using that, meaning anxiety and depression, as an excuse to have sex with others and preaches women empowerment. Or the fact that they're separated as an excuse? Something as an excuse. After my sessions with my therapist, my ex has to assure me that that he's not doing that. Huh. Um, and he's not exploiting me, essentially. Huh. As someone with borderline, I already have trust issues, but my therapist tells me she has my best interest. Is this
1: a red flag? Bob, what do you think? I'm not quite sure I'm following. I think that this is... Re- I'm not, I'm not sure I quite follow this, so I'm just going to do my well, essentially,
0: best. Essentially, what I think she's saying is, I have borderline. Yeah. I have trust issues. Right. My therapist is 100% sure that I'm being exploited by my partner. Okay. But then, and I get convinced of that, and then I go to my partner, and he has to reassure me a lot that he's not doing that, and I believe him. And so I kind of feel like my therapist is wrong. Hmm. But... Maybe I'm wrong because I have issues. That's
1: essentially what she's saying. So we can only answer this based on the information that is presented. To yeah, us. we don't know what's really happening. Okay. So the thing that stands out to me is, um, well, shit, what does stand out to me? I don't know that it's up to me as a therapist to decide if somebody's being exploited. Like, I don't know if I know that. I could ask them, though, hey, what's the impact of this experience on you? Yeah. Right? And how does this relate to our goals together? But what if
0: you thought that a client, because of their traumas or distortions, didn't have the personality capacity to notice when they're being exploited? I mean, that happens. Yeah,
1: that does happen.
0: And it might be important for us to suggest, like, maybe you're being exploited.
1: Okay. Yeah, I agree. So I, I think it... Probably both are true. One is, it would be important to suggest, hey, it looks like you're being exploited here if I thought that was the case. Also, what's happening here for you that's leading you to tolerate it or put up with it?
0: And if the client kind of pushed back, I'm guessing you wouldn't lean in and go like, no, you are being exploited,
1: right? um, I don't think so. I, I think that would probably be um, dissonant for me. If I really believed the thing to be true and the client was saying it really isn't true, it would be hard for me to let go of my position um, and go gently into the good night. I'd probably be thinking, well, okay, how do I work with this? Can I look for another angle? Um,
0: but But given the nature of this category of exploitation, I believe what she's saying is, my ex is having sex with other people and is... Using me or something, you like, know that—that's what it sounds like. I don't too. quite follow. It's, it's, it's not like being beaten on a daily basis, which would be, you know, empirically exploitative. So it sounds like a, a kind of a gray zone of exploitation, anyway.
1: Well, how is how am I being exploited by my ex having sex with other people? They're my ex.
0: Well, you, I don't know if so. They see. She says, um, "I don't know. I, I think it's more. Let's see. I am diagnosed born on my ex. Okay. My ex. So she says, my ex." ex we're in constant contact and amicably separated okay. my therapist constantly tells me he's using that as an excuse to have sex with others and preaches women empowerment so 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 maybe they're still having sex with each other they're even though they're broken up
1: oh or well, something i don't well, know uh, what's wrong with him pursuing sex i mean i'm not sure i think his behavior is ethical but but what's wrong with him pursuing sex with other people yeah i you're not if they it's, if this person yeah, sound, it, yeah. it has
0: who knows but it has yeah. the flavor of there's a certain mindset that and who knows yeah. men are dogs and they use women for oh, sex yeah. and and sex is something as a woman you have to sort of you have to be protective of your sexual I don't know what you call it, soul, if you will, purity. I, I don't know. What, no, purity isn't the word. You have to uh, protect yourself sexually because men will get you. You know, men will use you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get it. But And I don't know if that's where it's coming from, but okay. but it, it's possible. It's possible. Yeah.
1: Well, so um, if that person, whoever wrote in, if they wanted to write in again and clarify what the question is, sure. maybe we could take another run at it.
0: Well, what I'll say is it's hard to tell, as Bob is saying, but I will say it's very possible that your therapist is onto to something because you might be blind to something. You might yeah. be blind to exploitation or yeah. harm from your ex. It could be kind of nuanced where your ex could be a good force in your life and a bad force. Yeah, right. And it's possible that your traumas or your normalization of exploitation to yourself is clouded and you're distorted about right. it there's certainly been a lot of clients that i've treated like yeah. that and even people in my personal life when i just look at them i'm like so you realize that you're being exploited by your partner right. and you're completely oblivious to this right and you deserve so much more you deserve right. like someone who loves you and treats you well like i don't understand why you're doing this and i i, I mean i understand why they're doing it but but so it's possible that liana you are being you know your therapist supposedly is supposed to be knowledgeable about these sorts of things and so if your therapist is saying something that it's absolutely worth listening to and and as bob always says you know have a conversation you just be like you know can you convince me of what you're because i i don't really understand what you're saying i I don't feel exploited can you you seem to be very sure that i'm being exploited and and that i'm being treated unfairly as a woman particularly can you can you convince me of that? Can we have a debate about that Mm. in a way that is respectful to each other? Mm -hmm. Uh, You certainly deserve that. Yeah. Um, But it's also possible that your therapist has a distortion that definitely happens. I mean, therapists aren't immune to gender weirdness and to sexual weirdness and to their own uh, counter transference, obviously. So it's, for example who knows with your therapist but it's def- it's happened billions of times uh, <laughs> where a therapist has a past relationship or several past relationships that are not pleasant to them and will transfer that on to their clients and see their ex-husband in your ex-husband right. and will fight the The fight, you know, go on a crusade against your husband when really they have unfinished business with their own husband. So, uh, you know that that happens. Who knows? But obviously, I would talk it over. All right, let's take a break, Bob, and get back. Let's answer more. All right, we're back from the break. Uh, Listener Paul from New York says, "Oh no, no, sorry." Uh, Before we get to that, Patron Manuela from London says. I've always struggled with handling criticism. Mm. Apparently, it was really bad when I was a kid handling criticism. Mm -hmm. I remember once when I was panicking during a test in primary school because I didn't know the answers and the teacher felt so bad that she gave me the answers. So that kind of says a lot, right, that you're so much struggling with performance criticism that your teacher would notice and go like, I'm just going to give you the answers. It ruins my my day every once in a while. I try to stay rational and not take things personally, but it seems like my thoughts just start racing, and before I know it, I resent the person who gave me the honest feedback. Any tips on how to get better at listening to criticism, Bob? What do you think?
1: Um, exposed to it,
0: yeah. Meaning, like go repeat, it. repeat, repeat,
1: repeat, repeat, repeat. Like repeat. if you're afraid
0: of swimming, like you right. know, start in the shallow end and work your way work up to your the deeper to yeah.
1: the deeper end. Yeah, yeah. How, how
0: would you facilitate that though? Would you just ask people to criticize you
1: (laughs) yeah i think i would but i would not just choose somebody off the street i choose people that um were safe people for me and i'd start i'd start with them i might even end with them um because i'm not on this earth to be criticized by strangers you mean you know like which which arenas is it work is it school is it in your home life is it with your friends that you're having the trouble Is it, is it like you're taking a class and people are evaluating your work because you guys as a class share work? Um, Um, and so when you're, when you do that though, the idea isn't to just like squint and cower and shrug and grin and bear it and wait till it's over. The idea is to literally relax your body, drop your shoulders, keep your eyes open, look them in the eye. Um, keep lifting your eyes because they will go away. Keep lifting your eyes. Um, you can even, if you wanted to, ask them to repeat it again and again and again and again, right? Because what will happen is, um, just like anything else, like if I want to learn how to swim and I get in the water, maybe it's scary at first, but after a while, my body just sort of acclimates to the fact that, oh, this is what it is to be in the water. This is what it's like to stand on the three-foot end of the pool, or what it's like to put my face in water and nothing bad happens. So um, the, So the idea is, if you're going to do it, do it all the way. Don't do it halfway. Like, okay, all right, I'll tolerate it. And then it's over in 30 seconds. And I'm good. no, you might have to do it for like 20 minutes, right? Or 30 minutes or whatever. It's, but but you, you, you can. You can actually, it's just, if it's criti- criticism phobia, you can treat it like fear of heights. Just keep exposing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, Manuela, can relate. I have a similar problem. I, maybe not as pronounced as yours, but... Definitely my whole life, I've struggled with criticism. There was a lot of, you know, I grew up with a family of six, and so there was a lot of communication happening in my family. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. (laughs) And as a middle child, I developed somewhat of a complex around criticism, I think. And also as a kid who uh, gained a lot of, Love and attention by performance mm-hmm. in sports and right. school and right. and it's hard for me to um, handle criticism and the most uh, the biggest example of this I talked about this in the podcast before. Do you know what I'm going to say uh-huh. of where I'm most sensitive to criticism? No, I'm, I don't. Right? I'm all ears though uh, from students.
1: Oh yeah, of course.
0: Yeah. Well, why of course? Well, because you've talked about it before. Right. In that, because like a client, I don't want a client to hate me. But if a client does hate me for some reason, it just doesn't, uh, you know, work me up the way. Might they, be
1: part of therapy is that they hate you. So
0: yeah, but you know, I've had clients who have blown out of therapy because they hated me, oh, okay. and it's not pleasant. And I've had a panic attack in the like an actual panic attack in the middle of a session as a client was berating me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've talked about that on a podcast before too, mm-hmm. but that's not very common. And that was a particular client. I mean, that client really knew how to get under my skin because the the first 20 minutes of this client and uh, the whole, uh, there were multiple family members that had problems and they were, they were all attacking me. And for the first 20 minutes, I was fine. I'm just, you know, I was further far enough into my practice and career that I was like, okay, well, we're not a good match. And, and and I had the confidence to say either I did, I gave it my best or maybe I did screw up. And, I didn't mean to screw up. You know, I'm trying, but yeah. maybe I made a mistake. Who cares? But then by minute 23 or something, oh. she, she somehow found she a way to get in there. And, and I I started to have a full-on Whoa. panic attack, sweating and yeah. fight or flight and that whole thing.
1: What would you do if you had to do that one over again?
0: Uh, what do you... I mean, there's. I don't think there's anything I could have done. Would you have left earlier? Um, would you have ended the session? I don't think there I don't... I mean... Yeah, I mean, I, if I knowing what I know now, uh-huh. but it almost came, became a it became a therapeutic moment because oh, right on the father arrived as this was happening. Well, so so I have the panic attack and I look down to the ground and I'm 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 completely freaking out. I mean, Ugh. just having a full on massive. Yeah, my brain wasn't working oh, right. Sure. You know, I was complete fight or flight, adrenaline, heart pounding. Yeah. Sweating, can't think straight, looking down at the ground, and I just put my head in my hands, and I said, "Can you please just be quiet for a second? Because I need to think." Yeah, that's all I could say. Yeah, that's great. And then they realize the family realized that they were, uh, I don't know, doing something extreme. Yeah, the father walks in is like, "What's going on?" And we some we somehow tell him what's going on, and he's like, "Well, actually, he did this, he did that, you know, he did all these great because he oh. took notes. He he was he's the mo- he would." As a client, I've never seen someone take as many notes as wow. his client had taken. And he uh, proceeded to look at the notes. He said, well, on this day, he said this. I thought that was pretty useful. I don't think we followed his advice, but that was good advice. <laughs> and you know, and he kind of <laughs> started Aww. to do that. And That's nice. And But I didn't need that so much as I think the family might have benefited from that. They, yeah, yeah, I And so um, if I could do it again... And I don't know if I would do differently cuz the the only other alternative is for me to have either walked out earlier which that would negate the possibility of eventually what happened sure or if I had started off the session by saying I'm sorry I've completely failed you I feel like I have failed you I feel like I'm I haven't been very helpful maybe, maybe maybe that would have helped but I don't know how they would have reacted to that maybe, maybe. You know? who knows if anything would have made it different right yeah so so, yeah, I have a hard time with criticism from students. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I, I think it, it also has to do with my need to be seen as a smart person. I, I have a, a trauma around needing to be smart and, and uh, or being dumb, being perceived as dumb, being perceived as unco- inco- unconscientious. Well, that, see, that's going to trigger me because I don't know the word for lack of conscientiousness. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> what is it? Is it unconscientious? It seems like that know. would be the right one, right? Anyway, um, if I'm perce- if if I perceive that other people perceive me, which is critical because I would have to because I can be distorted about what other sure. people, right. but if I perceive that other person perceives me as being irresponsible or not intelligent right. or um, not know, knowledgeable, not knowledge. Well, it's not knowledgeable. No, it's. Hmm, having having um, good thought processes because it's fine if I don't know something I, I don't have a trauma around you know if someone's like you don't know the uh, the you know fastest animal in Asia like I, I'm not I don't care about that but if it's something that I hold as important for me to understand I don't know anyway point is is that with students I can relate to you Manuela that uh, when. I ex- I can be extremely sensitive to criticism to the point where I have to get into a physical meditative or mindfulness space to be able to listen, as Bob was saying earlier about you know body relaxation to criticism. And um, now, if it's done in a certain way, you know, if a student says something like "I don't like that you did that," I d-, it, it just really depends. Like yeah. there's certain, and if I think about it it's if a student says i didn't like this and i i think what it comes down to is do i believe the student essentially likes me because if the student likes me and i feel that and they're criticizing me they could hate everything about me but if they like me if i'm accepted mm-hmm. i think it's all about acceptance oh. right then i can i'm fine with it like i don't have any delusion that i'm a perfect professor yeah. by any means right you know to be a professor is to embrace imperfection but uh when i get the impression that the student harbors kind of a secret or a unsaid you know distaste for me oh, in general yeah right you know like a some sort of <laughs> ball of uh that's been building up over time mm. of yeah, I don't like this guy. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's stupid. Mm-hmm. I think he's arrogant or whatever it is mm-hmm. that they, they kind of build up about me. If I hear criticism and I think it's coming from a place of that, it destroys me. Mm-hmm. I won't be able to sleep at night. Like literally, it'll mm-hmm. the adrenaline pumps and um, it will plague me. I mean, I, I won't go into the details, but something happened last quarter. Oh. It was this little moment in class oh. that still plagues me. Like like once a week it kind of pops into my head. I was just Damn. like oh, you know, did I yeah. did I fail that student? It's like you cringe. Yeah. Yeah. and uh, did I and do they do they think of me in the way that I th- wonder if they think about mm-hmm. me in that way, you know? Um so Manuel, I get it. You know, criticism, we all have varying degrees of, of trauma and different flavors of it, so I, I get it. But the key for me is, in addition to what Bob was saying in terms of habituating, is cultivating uh, accepting relationships with people. You know, the corrective experience of, am I acceptable? And I think that's what it comes down to. Am I good enough? Yeah. And if you have relationships that are uh, cultivating or um, that tell you that mm-hmm. deep down, then you can withstand more criticism. And so I think that's important Is because a lot of people say, well, you just have to. Like be resilient to criticism and that it all as people know that my whole shtick is you can't do things alone. We're not solitary creatures. So sure, try to be more resilient and try to have cognitive um, resilience. Say, well, you know, criticism is good or this doesn't yeah. mean I'm a bad person. Right. But that can only go so far. Yeah. If if I feel accepted truly or right. mostly by you know the few kind of, you know, by Stacy, by Bob, by Umberto, and maybe some other people in my family. If I feel truly accepted by them and someone criticizes me, I'm much more able to handle that. And I can go to them, which is another tip, is to go to people with your criticism. You know, if I feel criticized, I'll go to Bob and I'll be like, I feel criticized and Bob will always, you know, make me feel better. And then I feel better. Another thing to do is to laugh it off, you know, is we're all flawed. This is what I do is just, just you know, like, with that thing that happened last quarter, I just have to say, well, cause, cause part of the, part of the struggle negative wise is I'm still trying to narrativize this, these past events as if I didn't screw up, you know, that I didn't make a mistake that I don't have uh blind spots or something. You know, I'm, I'm trying to like, well, maybe he, maybe he's, I don't know. Maybe they got it wrong or maybe I misperceived the situation or something. Or I can just tell myself, Kirk, you don't know everything and you make mistakes all the time. And you're a bumbling, tripping fool who manages occasionally to do some things right. That's fine. You know, it's like, it, it, it's okay. You know, like you're not perfect. Yeah. And yeah, I, I I I had a pretty... You know, if it, the worst case scenario, you you made a, a mild egregious, if that's a phrase we can say. <laughs> I like it. Mistake. And isn't that just funny, just how mildly egregious you can be sometimes, Kirk? You know, you're doing a lot of things, you know. And if, if you're going to be a professor, if you're going to be a therapist, you're going to be a podcaster, you're going to make some mildly egregious Mistakes at times because you say a lot of stuff and some of the stuff you say is uh, stupid, you know. And and uh, and isn't that that's just that's okay, you know? And you know, I'm the fool on the hill, as Paul would put it. Anyway, um, but as a demonstration of this, Bob criticize me, and I will I'll tell people my internal process.
1: Do I have to do about something? I mean, uh huh. You don't know the negative form of conscientiousness. (laughs) No, no. Give me something good, man. Like, dig down deep. This will be therapy for you and me, honestly. Oh, God. I don't want to do this. (laughs) So, relax. Yeah, no, but now i got to think of one, right? This is not a strong suit of mine. No. I usually think about my criticisms of you in private. (laughs)
0: Well, you're also, like, super nice and very anti... Whatever they... Whatever the opposite of criticizing. Yeah,
1: right. You're, yeah.
0: you're the opposite of that.
1: Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this because I don't know if I'm going to be able to think one up. Um, hmm, hmm, hmm,
0: hmm.
1: I'm, not a, I'm not as good a listener. All right. All right. I, I question your taste in white wine. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of a wine snob. Uh, well, uh, I mean, that's kind of a...
0: Because I, I I'm not precious about my white wine.
1: Okay, that's not a good one, then.
0: Well, uh, well, unless, unless it's... Um, unless you believe it actually reflects something about me. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do
1: I care what you drink? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'm not
0: the best listener, Bob. I, I'm pretty sure you know that. Yeah. Like, I, I, or at times, I'm not a very well, good listener. Yeah. Yeah. But, so, so let
1: me have that one. I'm not going to... I don't want to participate in this. <laughs> I just don't want to do it. Look, it's, it's not that I couldn't... Come I'll up love with you nice regardless, party. Bob. I know it.
0: I know it anyway. Well, thanks. That helps. Um, I think it'd actually be good
1: for us to have this conversation. All right. But but I'm on the spot now. And it's like, this is really... Well, I'm on the spot, too. Well, okay. All right, we're both on the spot here. So it's hard to come up with... with um, 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 I'll make this a patron-only episode. How about that? It won't help because I still can't come up with something. It's. I mean, go ahead, make it patron-only if you like. But uh, tell me a time that I wasn't a very good listener
0: that I let you down. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll do it for myself because. I, oh shit! I, I can. Uh, Because I want to, for Manuela of London, uh, demonstrate what it's like to, because this is pretty
1: dear to me, too, actually. I can do it. Okay, go for it. Something bad happened in my life a while back, and you know what it was, because I called you.
0: Well, now I feel even worse, because,
1: well, I mean, a lot of bad... I'm not going to get into the details, but I, like, never call you. I don't call anybody when I'm in crisis, and I called you when I was in crisis, And, um, we, it's kind of, it's kind of, I don't like relying on people. Like I love you. You're my best friend and I don't like relying on you. Um, and the thing I'm going to say about it is not so much a criticism of you as sort of a criticism of both of us, which is, I wanted more from you and I didn't ask and you didn't give it. Oh, is that ringing a bell about the time it was about, uh, it was when you lived in the um, over near, because we remember me, you and Stacy hung out at the Ridgecrest right at that point in my life. And um, we played that game. Yeah. Uh, what's that game called? Settlers of Catan. Yeah. That one. Yeah. Which, which you didn't know. was that a while ago. Like... It was about four years ago or something. Yeah, it is. It's about four years, four and a half years. That's right. And something happened and, you told me about it that night. I told you about it on the phone. Um, I think I left you a message because you, you know, nobody answered the phone anymore. It was a Saturday. Uh huh. If I remember right, I think it was a Saturday. And, uh, yeah.
0: Um, yeah. And you left a message saying that you were going through something difficult. Yes. And it was obvious to anyone listening, for the most part, that. I was being asked to rise to the occasion, and I didn't. And I don't even remember what it was, Bob. Which indicates that you've got to no, be right about this.
1: I'm being vague about the details because that's private business for me. Oh. But if you told me, if I, I, would I told remember. you, you'd know instantly. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's not like that. Um, it's not like that. But
0: anyway, at the time,
1: I dropped the ball. That's that's a bit strong. I I wanted more from you. I wanted more support from you. Um, And I was disappointed because you were, well, first off, you weren't home. You weren't available. Um, So that felt really weird. Um, That, yeah. But you did, you called me back and um, Talked about myself? No, no, no. But I think between the two of us, um, we did not pay.
0: Well, you're entitled to that. I'm not. You're entitled to downplay your own needs, I guess.
1: But I can't expect the world to know what they are. But I'm right? not
0: entitled to ignore your needs. That's that's. I'm not entitled to that.
1: I don't, the details are a little fuzzy here for me, and I almost feel like this is undue feedback, that I'm just trying to come up with something because you've asked.
0: It's indicative. It's, it's not surprising. It's not a isolated incident. Maybe this is the biggest one. But I know that the way you and I come together, because there are other people that I'm with that I don't do this with, because you're such a good listener and such a good question asker, mm-hmm. and, I'm, and I'm such a blabbermouth, <laughs> that you and I can, unless I really put the brakes on, like, it'll just be me talking and you listening.
1: Well, see, the thing is, is I have a hard time with the brakes, too. Yeah. I, I don't put on my own brakes, and I just get quiet and right. gun that engine.
0: Right. And um, so it doesn't surprise me. And I've done that with other people, too, where... I will hear something important that will happen in their life and where other people like yourself, for example, would really key in on, whoa, like I'm hearing a little, I'm hearing a statement and they're not crying and, but they're informing me about something that, well, this is big. Like I gotta, you know, even if they downplay it, I gotta mm. lean into this one. Cause mm. this what, this is big. This person, probably needs me this person is probably going through a lot and deserves a lot of attention on this issue where i given the way that i was raised i suppose it it just um blows right past me sometimes and if i don't pay attention to it i'll I'll just move on with my life (laughs) as if i wasn't just um Served on a platter, someone else's needs that that I could help with. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I'm deeply sorry. Obviously, it's it affected you a great great deal. If you still
1: remember it, I don't. I don't. It's not like I lose sleep over walk around with the resentment of you. I don't. I think one of the things that's true about our friendship over the last couple of years is it's deeper. I feel safer, and then in just my own personal growth, I've been pushing against my. Habit of um, uh, um, being so quiet that I don't say nothing, and I think I I tell you more than I used to about you know stuff. I don't know that I say anything that you didn't already you didn't already know about me. I don't know, but I think I'm probably more um, yeah open with you than I than I used to be, mm-hmm. and I I think I've always been pretty open with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well
0: but i will take it as criticism and it's not a happy this is uh, unlike my choice in white wine or my <laughs> lack of knowledge about how to what the opposite of conscientious is <laughs> i this is actually something i'm sensitive
1: about mm. and shameful i guess is a better a better word you know about and well, how are you doing? Because I'm not interested in you having shame just for its own sake. It's like, what the fuck? I don't, I don't want that. How, how am I doing? Well, to to, to
0: model this for Manuela.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: mm um, Your shoulders are relaxed. Your eyes are up. You have I feel it. safe with you is the thing. Yeah. You know, I feel... I don't have adrenaline because if you were someone else or... Yeah, if you were someone else that I didn't feel I could trust. Yeah. And I guess if you worded it differently, too... I would mm. um my adrenaline would be triggered and I I'd, I'd be sure. sweating and I'd be having a hard time breathing sure. if and if I you know. attacked you I mean verbally but even if you attacked me I just don't think it would uh get me. Well, that's good. So so there's that. Another part of it is that I've known this about myself for 30 plus years. You know, I've been in a lot of therapy and I've been Mm -hmm. in, in, and obviously as a therapist, I've self reflected a lot. And I know this about myself and have had enough sweaty moments in the past to not have it be sweaty. Now. Good for you. I'm just like, yeah, that's a problem that I have. I mean, I would, I think I would say that I'm paradoxically a very good listener and also a very bad listener in this you know, depending on the context. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, I don't know if this is arrogant to say, but I'm a better listener than a lot of people in my life. Oh yeah. So, I, and I know that to be, you know, yeah. Anyway. Uh, but at the same time, it's not uncommon for people close to me to be like, to say something along the lines of what, what you just said, you know? And, uh, and that's, and being as a human being and also being as a therapist, <laughs> it's a pretty shameful thing to be accused of, mm. you know what I mean? And, and to realize about yourself. So, mm. so it does get me. And, Manuela, what I do to myself as this is I become accustomed to this right. personality trait. I conceptualize it, I have a conceptualization of it. My family aren't particularly good listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mm. don't think any of them would say that and we're also as a family fairly on the positive side of talk like there's there negativity isn't really encouraged so uh, that's there's pros and cons to that you know and, and the con is that people don't like with bob for example if i give any hint of something negative happening in my life he will he'll ask me about that how you doing you know like a, mm-hmm. my family that just wasn't it's mm-hmm. sort of a japanese also swedish thing to sweep it under the rug mm-hmm. and just be like, you know, let's 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 everyone be happy that kind of thing. So, uh not to say that my family can't be good listeners cuz they can. Yeah. But it's mm-hmm. not a theme in our family, I mm-hmm. would say. It's not like a of a,
1: of the strong values of my family. That's not one of them. And if they if you needed them, they'd come running. Yeah. It's not like they don't care about you or wouldn't support. It's not like the people in your family don't care. About right. But it's not, not a,
0: it's not a, um, it's not a routine. I mm-hmm. guess that's a better way to put it. Mm-hmm. You know, it can happen, but it's not like with you and me before we started recording uh, just now, it's a routine for us to kind of check in yeah, yeah. and just, and a lot of what comes out of you and I, of our faces is negative things. Yeah. Just be like, Oh, there's this, and there's, there's that, that, you know, right. I don't, there's, I don't like this, you know? Right. And, that's a routine that yeah. you and I have, whereas other family... You know, my family members, it's, it's not a routine. Not that we couldn't do it, but it's it's not a routine. Right.
1: No, right. And, oh, that's interesting. Right.
0: And so I uh, will uh, exhibit that uh, routine, you know, optimism, positive routine that will eclipse noticing what's happening in other people. Mm-hmm. So... How are you feeling right now? Uh, I feel... I feel ashamed mildly, not terribly. I feel resolved to be different. Hmm. I feel... I don't really feel criticized. Good. I feel bad for what happened, and I want to make up for it somehow (laughs) because to you know best friendships are defined by those moments those moments when you something terrible is happening or whatever and you reach out to you know one to three people in that moment and it's those moments that define your relationship that inform each member of this is what this means it's almost like a like a proposal like when you ask someone to marry you. It's a, it's a defining moment of, I am now, I am proclaiming and you are also proclaiming by accepting, you know, it's a proclamation of this is, you know, there was our relationship before the proposal and our relationship after the pro there's a relationship before I reached out. You were the first person I reached out to about this. And there was our relationship after (laughs) I reached out to you about this. So, uh,
1: have i made up for it since then i don't yeah you're you're good i don't but i'm not walking around with the resentment i don't think about it and um uh, after, is our relationship negatively impacted still by that what happened no not even a little oh cuz after that moment what happened is it was a that was a saturday and the following wednesday we met up um and then stacy joined us and we played that game Um, But we met up to talk about the thing and, you know, you were supportive and available and, uh, you know, and that was one of the hardest things that's ever happened to me. And you were there. You were supportive and available. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do
0: remember getting into some some personal conversations that night. And I'm guessing once you tell me, I do remember that night. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Four or five years ago. Yeah. Right. But. Uh, yeah, I feel, and I don't know. Anyway, I, I've, yeah, so, Manuela, on one hand, I accept it, and I'm habituated to
1: this criticism. Is it important for you to not feel ashamed right now, would you say? What do you mean? Do I want to feel ashamed? No, no. I'm, I'm, you might like relief from it, but is it important to you? Is it necessary for you to not have shame? Because the reason this might be useful for Manuela is if they think that they're supposed shame to not back. have any response. Right. Yeah,
0: um, no. Shame is there's a, a reason for all of our emotions. Absolutely, jealousy, hunger, right, uh, anger, happiness, joy, lust, and shame is actually a good thing. Uh, it can obviously become a bad thing. Sure, it's a crap. I screwed up. <laughs> crap. I there's something about me that's not great, and that's okay, uh, as long as it's not overwhelming, yeah. and as long as you have trusting relationship so in that instance you know as you're saying bob i can feel ashamed right now but if i know that you still accept me 100 oh, yeah. and yes. i do know that yeah then the shame is motivating <laughs> and uh change inducing or commitment to change inducing yeah or rectifying inducing or something you know trying to make up for it somehow or whatever
1: that might be useful for a to keep in mind that what they're probably going for isn't zero shame it's proportional shame right yeah
0: and i can laugh it off and say yeah i have a set of personality traits that i'm quite um familiar with that i will always have and this is in that category it's a, it's reflective of that Personality set that has pros and cons. You know, a pro to being narcissistic slightly (laughs) uh, and self centered is the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A negative Um, is to not notice other people's mm. emotions all the time unless I'm um, really paying attention. So
1: Every every style of being has its up and downside, right?
0: Right. And I want to be more specific, more accurate in that it it it's narcissism. It's it's self centered, but it's also self reliance is mm-hmm. maybe a better word to put to it. Mm-hmm. And that means that when other people come around with their things, I don't necessarily feel it as as deeply or as as viscerally as maybe you do for example you know someone comes a third person comes to the two of us and dumps something into the room in terms of what's happening to them for you it'll be a visceral lightning bolt through your body for me it it won't be as much it'll still be there because I'm not I'm not terribly high on the narcissistic spectrum i, I, I you have great my, care my, my my conceptualization of the spectrum I'm like five percent you know I, I have these slight right. mild, but definitely their tendencies. So for that reason it I'm still but uh but that five percent makes me a little deadened uh, compared to you, mm. you know, in terms of really kind of going, whoa, you know, I gotta I can't you know, for you, for example, I get the impression you wouldn't be able to ignore someone Suffering in that way.
1: No, I, I, I certainly am capable of that, and have done that. Oh, uh, um, and that's complicated, and um, has to do with my own difficulties in life and shame, mm. whatever. So, no, I'm absolutely capable of ignoring pain. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, that does it for that episode. Yeah. <laughs> In which Bob just blasted me (laughs) with unfair criticism, and I didn't listen to it. And everyone out there, please take care of yourself because
1: you deserve it.